Hello and welcome to another episode of the Oliver Schirach Show and I'm your host Oliver. Now I'm so glad to bring you that show on. I've been wishing to be able to talk to a person from each continent for my podcast and C. John Sawyer is filling the gap with Australia. Uh, he's born and raised in Australia, went to the Australian Army and has been living in the US for a long time now. And he also is an American citizen by now. The interview starts a bit slow, so stay in with us. I think it's about five, ten minutes max where we get warm with each other and we are getting much more vulnerable, open and C is such a good storyteller. The whole interview is filled with many of his adventures and stories and insights. Uh, I just give you some uh, some ideas before we get started. Once is uh, he wasn't <laughs> born by the name C. Uh, it was Christopher, but he changed his name and he talks about why he did so and when he did. We um, learn about how he taught himself to you know to get over his panic attacks, which were actually really really. Uh, disabling and very strong as a teenager looking through books his questions of life you know you know about dreaming he, his very vivid and lifelike dreams where he can smell and feel everything and no one could really teach him also what he learned in his dreams lucid dreaming when he had that yes we get stories about that and we also get stories about the panic attacks uh, several of those how he handled them and yeah why running long distance, like really long distance, bare feet brings in bliss <laughs> and how we can grow as a human civilization by reconnecting with nature. And guess what? Our heart is the key to connect with nature. Uh, we get into that. So, yeah, I don't really want to say much more, but uh, let's welcome and let's start this really great interview with a seeker, a mystic poet, and an adventurous spirit. See John Sawyer. Welcome. And welcome, everyone. Here's another episode of the Oliver Shira Show, and your host, Oliver. And I'm here virtually again with a guest on the other side of the big ocean. This is C. John Sawyer, formerly, uh, yeah, what are you? Published author, you say, and Earth-born design founder, and you were born in Australia, but you live in the U.S. now. Yeah. Hey, how you doing today, Oliver? That's absolutely correct. So I was born and raised in Australia and uh, now a naturalized U.S. citizen. Yes, that's cool. So we we met on LinkedIn somehow. I do not know why. I just saw your profile and reached out to you and we, we had some really cool exchanges Um and then I was wondering, like, what is your name? Is it John? And he said, it's actually not John, it's C. And of course, the question comes, what is, why C? What, what's the story behind that? Yeah, very cool. So uh, I was initially born Christopher Jones, and my parents had a hard time choosing a name for me. There's a long story behind that, but Christopher Jones is the name that they ended up settling on. And after... I mean, I'm sure this will all unfold as we progress in the chat, but essentially in redesigning myself and who I am 
in this day and age, I wanted to take elements of that part, like of, of my initial name. So that's what this, the C is actually short for Christopher. I am officially now C. I've had it legally changed as part of my US citizenship. So my first name is legally C, just the letter C. John is my middle name, and that's an abbreviation of my previous surname, which is Jones. And Sawyer is a surname that I chose for myself based on my favorite character from my favorite author. So, you know, Tom Sawyer, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, and one of Mark Twain's creations. Yes, and uh, I love the whole story around that. But let's go into how would you describe yourself? I think that will interlink with your name as well, like three words or sentences or stories describing yourself in the your strength, basically. Yeah, where to begin? I mean, essentially, I guess if I was to start with three words, I would say uh, a seeker, a mystic and a poet would probably be applicable. Um, you know, kind of stretching that out a little bit. Uh, I'm very much an adventurer, adventuring spirit. And all of that is wrapped up in, in you know, what I seek with my seeking, both internally and externally in the world around me, creating that relationship with the world, with the natural world, with the cycles of the natural world. Uh, you know, I feel like a lot of who we are in modern day life is an accumulation of comforts and in embracing and seeking those comforts, we have done so at the cost of connection, you know, and so I tend to seek connection often at the expense or cost of comfort. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's much more than just uh, <laughs> three words. <laughs> so seek of connection and adventure. Um, I remember when we talked last time, about your name, you mentioned also uh, Tom Sawyer because he's an adventurous. Is there mm -hmm. more behind the stories of of, of him that connects? Yeah, him? I mean, I've always been fascinated by you know the writings of uh, Mark Twain and especially Adventures of Tom Sawyer, Tom Sawyer Detective, um, the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and <laughs> the mischief they got into. You know, they were always they were always exploring they were always getting into trouble and they were they were uh you know they, they they kind of lived in the whole world the image I always had of Tom Sawyer growing up was this kid who didn't necessarily belong to any one place he, he was a being of the world you know rafting down the Mississippi on a, on a raft that he built with his friend Huck Finn and all of it you know it was literally this uh this persona of somebody that wasn't afraid of the world. He was out there in it, living it, embracing it. He was a seeker. And that's very much what I've modeled myself on. Okay. Do you have any stories around that? Oh, constantly. Lots and lots <laughs> of stories. Where to begin? <laughs> so I think one of one of the best ways to go about this is probably to give you a fly overview of my story, you know, because there's so much of that that we can branch off from but it kind of started with um you know when i left school uh, grew up as a kid in australia um, i was born in sydney i grew up on the sunshine coast of, of queensland and when i left school i joined the australian army and served in the military uh, one of the things that i i had some trouble reconciling was I, I had a lot of big questions when i was younger 
you know, in, in my teenage years, I had a lot of big kind of, I guess you'd call them esoteric questions about my place in the world. And I couldn't quite figure out the answer. And I guess in many respects, when I came to my army entrance exams, I, I sidestepped my way around the psychological screening. I'm sure if I was entirely honest with them, I wouldn't have been accepted into the army. And one of the things that happens when you bring that kind of discontent, maybe disassociation, a little bit of depression, a little bit of anxiety, all bundled together with not really knowing your place in the world, and you put that into a militarized environment, you go to a war zone, you start fighting with other people, what happens is you create a powder keg in, in that person's life. And that, that happened in mine. It took maybe 15 years after I got out of the military for me to reconcile what, had, what I had experienced. And that 15 years, I was, um, you know, I was medicated with clinical depression, and it took me a lot to overcome that. So I guess the adventure really started courtesy of that. You know, I, I stepped off and tried to find my place in the world that I was always looking for from the time I was a very young boy. So I took a journey of self-discovery, which led me from journeying out through the Australian desert. Um, to the northern islands of Fiji and studying yoga teacher training. I traveled to uh, northern Thailand and lived with uh, a hill tribe and was running around in the jungles of Thailand, barefoot, barechested. And then I, I ended up meeting my, uh, my now wife, who is an American. And we, um, we came together and we actually met on Facebook and we haven't really been apart since. And courtesy of, you know, coming into her world, um, I've done a lot of shamanic work here in the United States and, you know, some soul retrieval and journey work and stuff like that. So that kind of brings me to where I am now. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, a lot of so-called esoteric or others call it woo-hoo-hoo -hoo, uh, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I, I can see it. Uh, you know, listening to people or, or talking to people, it's still, it, it's getting more and more accepted mm -hmm. in, in, in the Western world, but it's still like, uh, so, so how, how was that journey for you when you look at who was part of the journey? Do you have to, still some friends from back then or did everything fall apart and you had to rebuild I mean, everything definitely fell apart and I had to rebuild, which it's a beautiful process. And I would strongly recommend it to anybody looking for their, their, their truth. You know, the things that burn away when you go through a process like that, they're not the truth of your nature because your truth can't burn. The only things that can burn are the things that are not you, that you've accumulated across your life. So having said that, to answer your question, yes, I still have people that I'm connected with from my previous, I guess, existence. There are people that have come with me throughout the whole thing, even people that I disconnected from that I've since reconnected with that, you know, are really thrilled with the level of peace and happiness that I found in my life. You know, they're, they're honored to be a part of that journey with me. So there's definitely people still there, but I did burn everything to the ground in that process. Wow, okay. There, there's so many questions in my head. As usual, <laughs> I cannot help it. Probably the, the listeners listening to my podcast regularly know that I will say that at least a few times. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can see you, you know, this fire. I mean, you just said you had disconnected and reconnected and the peace inside you 
who were you before when you look back the the being what what were the elements i mean you said you were in thailand in fiji australian outback uh, shamanic world i guess you also know a bit about ayurveda and the mm-hmm. doshas what kind of was the energies the elements in christopher <laughs> compared to c now yeah so christopher was scared uh, desperately trying to find his place in the world, but he was he was a scared little boy. He was hurt. He was fragile. If somebody spoke to him, you know, with um, like roughly, if someone you know spoke sternly to him, he would retreat and cry. And even if that didn't happen right away, that would be carried inside until there was a space quiet enough for him to do that. So those elements of that being that I was. You know, I recognize, I connect with, that's part of my journey. It's it's who I am. It's who I have been, which is why I've kept that part of myself. You know, I mean, a name is just a label. It's an identity. But I, it was important to me to keep that aspect of myself to remind me of where I've come from, you know, because it's not like a, a splitting of the personality. It's like I'm still that same person. I still recognize that. I still recognize that was my path. But what what kind of happened as a part of that christopher jones was a person that knew he had the seeds of power within him he he understood that there was gold within that lead of his being you know if you want to talk alchemically and alchemy is something that i'm really passionate about it's it's been a a lifelong journey of mine so far and i'm constantly learning that but you know he christopher jones was lead as opposed to the gold that c john sawyer is now Mm So, and and I when I, I was thinking also more like on the fire, water, earth elements. Mm-hmm. When you, you, I can see that Christopher was very timid. Uh, the feeling you you presented was like taking everything inside, and people Absolutely. could not see what happens. Um, on, on the other side, where you described before, I just saw fire, but that's probably just my my own reflection for myself <laughs> well no it's it's interesting that you mention that because like i've mentioned a few esoteric concepts and this is the world i live in i'm immersed in it's part of who i am now and one of the things that is really powerful for me is the understanding of you know my composition my astrological makeup who i am as part of the you know as part of the whole is a being that is surrounded in both water and fire so i'm an Aries. i was born as a fire sign and I have as part of my chart, Aries is my sun sign, but I have water all around that. You know, I've Gemini, I have Cancer, I have all these water signs around that. And Christopher Jones was a being that was very much immersed in that water and, you know, the, the, almost the whimsical or flimsy nature of water. You know, it was like the, the, uh. the timidness of water. C. John Sawyer is somebody that has found a perfect balance between the water and the fire within myself. But understanding that water isn't timid or flimsy. Water is literally one of the most powerful elements there are. It can smother fire instantly. It holds air within it and it can erode earth. So it is literally the most powerful element. And in having embraced that, I've found this perfect balance in claiming that energy of C. John Sawyer for myself between that element of fire and water. Uh, That's interesting. I'm also Aries, so... Mm. (laughs) But... I, I do not know if I'm surrounded by water. We can talk that after that. Um, I was always interested also in astrology, but I never really got deep enough because there was no one around me sure. which knew. 
and I'm not the one which reads books and learns. I'm the one talking and sure. absorbing like that. <laughs> That's also why I have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Another book club. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I, I, I love the learning journey. For me, books were a way that I literally saved my own life. You know, when I was 16, I fell into um, severe anxiety. You know, I had massive panic attacks. And the way that I, I coped back then was I, I turned to books and reading. So right from being an early teenager, I just immersed myself in the written world and anything that I could grab, that I could get my hands on, that I could read, I did. So everything from the works of Isaac Asimov and, you know, all of that science fiction and really deep fantasy type stuff to learning about different languages and cultures or herbalism, cooking, you know, it didn't matter. I mean, my mom had a cookbook. I read the cookbook from cover to cover, anything to keep myself out of my own mind. Oh, yeah. We, we just started this podcast introduction before um, that I have an alarm reminding me every hour to think mm. where I am. Am I in my head or am I here in the present? See the things around me. Smell the essential oils which are plummeting. Oh, you can already see them here for the ones which are <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> It's very strong. I put a bit too much of holiday piece. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, it has a lot of pine tree. I love it. Um, and, and then I see you You say at 16, you had the panic attacks. You're reading to keep yourself out of your head. Mm -hmm. So for someone who doesn't understand that, how, how is that feeling? I mean, when you have these panic attacks and you need to read. So what, what happens if you did not read? Well, I mean, probably most of the time, nothing except a feeling of deep discontent, you know, not feeling like I belonged in the world. But uh, there were definitely times, you know, there was a couple that stood out really, really powerfully. Um, you know, I, I remember at one point I would have been, you know, probably right around 16 years old. Um, my father took my brother and myself to the local hardware store. He needed some uh, lumber for something that he was building. And um, the guy took him, took us all down the back and pulled out a chainsaw and started chainsawing the lumber so that he could cut it to the right size. And just the, the, the noise of the chainsaw and just my thoughts started getting the better of me. Like, you know, just what if this guy is crazy and he turns around with the chainsaw and attacks my father and instantly my mind just exploded and I, I became so overwhelmed. I couldn't breathe. The room started spinning and I grabbed my father's arm and I said, I've got to go sit in the car. And he's like, yeah, okay, no worries. So I went out and, and sat in the car and I was just sitting there like racing and my heart was pounding. I was pouring sweat. I was breathing really fast and heavy. And that that's kind of what it feels like when you're in the midst of a panic attack, you know, it's just, and so I would read to try and take my mind off the fact that this thing was something that was happening to me and it could happen at any moment. Anything could trigger it. You know, another example was one like uh, where I was growing up, we lived under a flight path. And one morning I woke up to a plane coming overhead. And the, it's something I'd heard hundreds of thousands of times before. But this one particular morning, since this whole thing started for me, I heard this plane landing uh, like coming in overhead and just the noise. I was like, I can't control that. It's out. It's outside of my control. I can't stop that. I can't get away from it. And it started to trigger this anxiety in me. And the same thing, you know, I just, my heart started racing. I lost control. I got dizzy and started panting with my breath and I started pouring sweat. 
and I had to bury my head between two pillows and I was lying there with my head like literally sandwiched, squeezing these pillows into my ears to try and make the sound stop. And as the plane faded away, gently, slowly, I came back to my myself and I, I had no idea what was happening to me. You know, I couldn't talk to anyone. I tried to talk to my dad about it and he was a great guy. Like he was a provider. He was, he was a hard worker and he was a dedicated father, but he didn't live in this world. Like he didn't understand this stuff. So when I started trying to talk to him about it, he said, you keep that to yourself or they'll lock you up. Like they'll put you in a mental home. And that scared the, can I, can I cuss? That scared, that scared the shit out of me. And so I, uh, I didn't talk to anybody about it and literally kept it inside. I had no idea what was happening to me. So I turned to books to try and distract myself from what was unfolding in my own mind. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, I didn't know it was that bad for you. I, I do see these things. I mean, I had panic attacks slight when my wife went to work and it was icy and she left at 6.30 in the morning when it was dark. Mm. And I like, shit, she has like one hour, one and a half hours on the motorway. What if the street is too icy? It just, mm. you know, she has an accident. And I know I went to psycholog. He said, change that thought with something positive. Mm. But I luckily didn't have it as bad, but I can see not much more and <laughs> you get there. But do you yeah. know what, do you know what triggered the whole panic attack? You said 16, did it just came like this or did you have that since you were small? Yeah, there was definitely a growing stress, you know? So one of the things that really stood out as I guess a turning point in my life that started triggering that, I guess I would call it existential stress uh, is I remember I was probably about 13 or 14. I went to my mother and I said, how do we know that when we're dreaming, that's not who we truly are. And when we're awake, that's not just some kind of crazy dream world. And she's like, uh, you have to speak to somebody. So she took me to our local doctor who was a really good family. He was our family doctor. And she said, ask him what you asked me. And so I said to this doctor of ours, how do I know when I'm dreaming, that's not my true self. And when I'm awake, that's just like some kind of crazy dream world. And he said, because your life has consequence. If you do something today, tomorrow, you're going to have a consequence of that. If you do something bad today, tomorrow, you'll be in trouble for it. That doesn't happen when you dream. And I said, but how do we know our true nature isn't beyond consequence and that it's only a parameter of the dream world? And he looked at me and his face kind of broke into a tired looking smile. And he said, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. You're going to have to go and do some finding of your own, go and meditate, go and read books. Oh, and shit. so in my mind, in that moment, what came to me was this guy is the smartest guy. I know he has degrees to be a doctor. If something is wrong with me, he can fix me physically. And he doesn't know the answer to this question. If he doesn't know it, no one knows it. And so why am I asking it? Why is this question part of my reality right now? And that created a stress. I, I did what most kids would do if they felt something wasn't right within themselves and I buried it. I, I pretended it wasn't there, but it was still sitting in there festering and growing and the answers needed to be. So I, I firmly believe that's what triggered the anxiety to the point where I started having these panic attacks. It was, you know, like an existential crisis. Wow. It's very interesting. Everything you say, it's resonating a lot. And it's kind of like, you know, our outside world is a reflection from our inside world. 
100%. The people you are tracking to your life, the events that happens, it's always something to teach you or you teach someone else. Um, I'm, I'm doing a dream quest at the moment, lucid dreaming, because I try to help. Beautiful. Try to find out to get contact with my subconscious because I have the feeling that I put up barriers um, to actually exactly what you say to find out who am I really what is my mm -hmm. true being and I know from these different spiritual teachers mystical teachers from Jesus from Buddha from Dalai Lama uh, Eckhart Tolle whatever their name is we have all the elements in us the good and the evil yeah you know the good and the bad or whatever it is uh, Brahman um, the, the shadow and the light and and we are actually the, the shadow work as well right so so in this dream quest the guy which is teaching it uh, it's on mind valley i love it how he's teaching it it's so mm. fresh and he as well says like his biggest effect is the dream work shadow work right mm -hmm. so when you, you when you face your dark shadows and your golden shadows and i think that's going a little bit back to what you what your question was at the age of 13 14 mm -hmm. do you remember the dreams you had that that you suddenly had this question like no but i mean not specifically to to answer the question not specifically but i've always had incredibly vivid dreams you know i remember talking with friends in the schoolyard when i was growing up and they were like do you dream in color? And I'm like, yeah, constantly. Like, is that not a normal thing? And they're like, no, my dreams are all black and white. And I'm like, well, that's weird. I've never had a black and white dream. My dreams have always been super realistic. When I'm dreaming, I have no idea I'm dreaming. It's real. It's real to me. The experience is real. And it's always been that way. And I guess that's what kind of created that. Well, I, the seed of that question is, the fact that my dream state has always been so vividly real. Like I feel, I see it's color, I taste, I hear, I see. I, all of my senses are completely active in a dream state. And there's some days I'll wake up in the morning and I'll be exhausted because I've had such an active dreaming that, 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 that night. So. Okay. Uh, because of the quest I'm taking, I'm, I'm asking because I, only remember the lucid dreams when I was falling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I do not remember the talks we had afterwards, but I remember several of my friends in school who were falling as well. Mostly you feel like you fall from bed and then you wake up. But mm. I've also heard some people say, if you do not wake up, that's when you fall in a lucid dream. And now, as you say, you see all in color and it's real, you feel taste. Um, I'm like, wow, I just, it, it's like reading a book for me. When I read a book like The Hobbit or something like that, or <laughs> Lord of the Rings, these fantasy books, I can visualize stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's not as clear for me as it is on a screen. It's just okay. there. It is with color, it is with shapes, but it's not like I see you now on the screen. Mm. And then I hear other people, they say they feel everything in the dream. And like, when I remember dreaming, it's just really like in my head, like reading something. It's not in my mm -hmm. control. Like somehow I can control the dream, but not really. Mm -hmm. So, and, and you say you like really emerged in it. Did you also realize that you're dreaming and you say, hey, I'm dreaming and now let's have fun. <laughs> yeah, at, at times it, it hasn't been a constant practice for me, but at times I've really been, you know, 
incredibly lucid within dreams. There's there's a couple of points that stand out really powerfully. Um, so my wife and I, we before we bought this house, we were living in an RV and we were driving around America. We spent 18 months touring around. And when we oh. bought this, we bought this house. We put the RV into a, a storage yard just down the road from us. It's like a big open paddock behind a, a giant, you know, chain wire fence. And we kept the RV there for some time before we sold it. And one day we had a phenomenal fight and she locked herself in the bedroom and, you know, screaming. And so I'm like, okay, I'm out. Like I'm, I'm, I'm I can't stay here right now. So I, I went to the storage yard parked next to the RV and I, I stayed in the RV that night. And the, there was all of these other, you know, RVs and trailers and boats and stuff in this storage yard. And I fell asleep and I, I thought I had woken up and I opened the door and I walked out into the paddock and there was nothing else in the paddock. It was completely empty. And I, I was looking around and that was the dream sign. That was what I, I didn't even know that I was looking for a dream sign, but because I thought I was awake. But I saw this and I'm like, this was full of RVs when I came in here this evening and now it's empty. I'm dreaming. Oh, wow. All right. So now that I'm dreaming, I need to find something. There's an answer here for me. I can use this and find out the answer to fix my relationship. What, what do I need to find out? So I went down to the office where I checked in my RV and I opened the door and I walked in and there was a, like a whiteboard on the wall for him writing his uh, client details on. And I looked at the whiteboard and all of a sudden, all these characters started appearing on the whiteboard. And I'm like, cool, this is my subconscious. This is going to tell me what I need to know. And so I started looking at the symbols and, and they, they started deciphering and turning into words I could read. And it turned into just love. That's all it said, just love. And I'm like, right, don't prove I'm right. Don't go home and try to make her wrong. Just go home and love her. And I did. And everything was fine. Like everything was perfect. <laughs> Uh, this is like out of the quest. I'm <laughs> so it's so beautiful. I mean, you also use the same terms, like the dream sign. It's like mm -hmm. we are told to all the day, like turn the hand because your subconscious cannot do that as yeah. precise or look at something with a lot of patterns, high resolution screen or something like that. But it's beautiful. Did, did you know about lucid dreaming and the power of it or, because you were reading so much or? Yeah, it's definitely something I've come across from the time I was very young and I've used different techniques to get me there. You know, there was, there was one particular night I was staying at my father's house and just in the spare bedroom at his house when I was traveling back to Australia and I, I couldn't sleep. I was having a horrendous time. I think it was like two o'clock in the morning. I put, put my phone up and I was just mindlessly scrolling for about 30 minutes I put my phone down and I thought, okay, I'm going to give this, um, it, it's, you're probably familiar with the term, it's called wild, wake-induced lucid dreaming. So I, I thought, I'm going to give this wild a, a chance. So I lay down, I closed my eyes and I just stopped moving my body. I stopped swallowing. I, all I did was just kept myself awake in my mind, but just 100% relax my body. And I started to feel my body getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And then all of a sudden I'd gone into sleep paralysis. I felt my body and my mind disengaging. And I couldn't move my body. I couldn't lift my arms. And I was like, all right, cool. And then I opened my eyes and I saw this uh, bicycle at the foot of the bed. And I'm like, my bike wasn't in the room when I went to sleep. This is a dream sign. I'm, all right, cool. I've done it. I'm actually dreaming. 
So I, I left the room, I went outside and I started flying and I just had fun flying around the neighborhood and over the beach and, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, I've been using the technique periodically across my life. Okay, but you do not remember how you started to learn about that? No, it's just something I came across. I, I, I can't remember where or how. Yeah, okay. But it's beautiful. I mean, it's so f fantastic because I really try, as I said, uh, but I also know the last two days, uh, we also looked at the um, nightmares. Mm -hmm. That's also, that's actually what the the teacher has really brought into lucid dreaming because the nightmares, right? He had post-traumatic stress due to overdosing. And mm -hmm. he was also in Tibet uh, studying. I mean, this guy, <laughs> I have to hear his story. But so he had post-traumatic stress for six months. And one mm -hmm. night, because he's like, yeah, I know lucid dreaming. Okay. So he... So he taught us that you can look into nightmares and call them in, right? But be yeah. careful, be careful <laughs> because they can be really dangerous, not dangerous, but, you know, feel dangerous if, sure. you're not, if you're not aware because you're really fearful and everything seems real. So, but it's great. It's, it's great. Let, let's keep going another other way. Now I've been saturated. <laughs> I got my satisfaction with <laughs> the lucid dream. Nice. <laughs> so but yeah i can see you had the panic attacks 16 really hard i mean i can imagine and when we talked last time you said if, if the military would have known about these things you would never have been there i mean right with with a trigger of a chainsaw or getting this kind of reaction how could you manage five years in a military service i mean didn't well, you get I, lots of triggers oh absolutely but you know the interesting thing was that period of my life when i was 16 you know it lasted for probably about oh 12 to 12 to 18 months um i i started teaching myself how not to panic and i i used because i i i had in my mind that i couldn't talk to anybody about it i was the internet wasn't a thing back then you know i mean i'm sure it was for someone somewhere but we didn't have any i'd never heard of it it wasn't something that i had growing up when i was 16 the internet wasn't a thing so i couldn't do a google search i couldn't i had to go to the local library trying to find books on, you know, mental health. And then there were thick books were full of jargon that I couldn't find myself. I, I had to rely on myself to find my way through this problem. And so what I did was I figured I sat myself down one night and I'm like, all right, I've got to do this. I've got to see if I can make this happen and then figure out what it is that's happening to me. So I sat there and I tried to force it to come on. I tried to force a panic and I couldn't do it. I was like, that's really interesting. It only comes when I'm not expecting it. It only comes when I'm afraid of it. But if I'm not afraid of it, if I'm there ready to face it, it doesn't show up. So it tells me that I'm the boss and all I've got to do is just be bigger than it. And so I took that approach. And any single time when I started to feel that little shift inside of myself that was taking me towards anxiety or panic, I would show up 100% and face it. I would just thrust it. I would try to force the panic on. I was like, come on, let's do this. Let's get big. Let's be as panicky as you can. And it wouldn't come. And it would just fade away. And I'm like, I can control this now. Now I'm in charge. And I have never panicked since. I didn't panic in anything that happened in the military. And I actually got to put it to the test. One of the things that I, I'm really passionate about is scuba diving. And one night I was diving with some friends. We were doing a night dive and it was a drift dive. It was diving in a strong current. The boat dropped us at the top of a wreck. And then he went down 
and was kind of like drifting on the current and we were drifting through the like across the top of the wreck and he was going to pick us up at the, the other end of the wreck and at one point I saw a sea turtle and it went it, like it ducked down and went into the bulkhead of, of the shipwreck and I was like okay cool so and this is nighttime you know I had my light I followed him, I, I went down a little bit and I followed him into the bulkhead and the current was so strong, it pushed me into a compartment inside the wreck and I couldn't push back against the current, I couldn't get out of the compartment. And so I'm trapped in this little space with the current pushing me against the, the, the bulkhead of the ship and I had no way of coming back out the way I'd gone in. And I'm there thinking, my buddy didn't see me come down here, I did something really stupid, I've been separated, I've made a big mistake trying to trying to hang out with this sea turtle and now it's going to cost me my life like I'm, I'm my air's going to run out before this current lets up and i felt this panic rising and i was like okay this is familiar i know this feeling so i i'm like panic come on bring it come as big as you can and the panic it, it went away and in that moment i then gained a really strong clarity in my own mind and i was like the sea turtle is not in here with you and it didn't go back out the way you came in. So where did it go? And I started exploring this little chamber I was in and I found the way that it went out and it was through a hole that was like down close to like the sand, close to the bottom at the bottom of the wreck. And it, it just went straight out through the side of the ship. And I, I came out, saw the lights of my buddy up, up the top and I, I went straight back up and joined him and we came out of the water. So. Yeah. Uh, wow, beautiful. Um, I could just keep on listening. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a good storyteller there as well. Uh, I, one thing that comes in my mind is like when you said you figured out you could not bring up panic like that mm. to to handle it. It's kind of one thing was in my mind the hulk right like always be angry so you're not <laughs> <to talk. laughs> yeah yeah and then the other thing was fear I, i thought i heard or read somewhere that you need to face your fear basically what you did is facing your panic and invite it surrender to it and by doing that you took away all the energy from it it just yeah. dissolved yeah there's there's um there's this old, uh, I, I guess prophecy is not the right word. No, it's, it's like, uh, I, I don't know what the word is, but there, there's like a tale I heard and it came from the native cultures here in, in America and, uh, first nation. And one of the things that they say is when the storm comes, the cows like cattle will see the storm and they will, they will try to run away from the storm and it keeps them in the storm even longer because they're trying to run away from it. They're running in the same direction. The storm is moving. Whereas bison, the Buffalo, the Tatanka, he will turn and he will face the storm and he will run straight into the storm. And because of that, he actually gets through it really fast. And I, I think that that's so applicable with where we're at in terms of, our own fear, our own minds, you know, whatever's going on inside of us at any given point, we can choose to try and run away from it or we could turn and face it. And usually most of the time, if not all of the time, when we turn and face it, it backs down or it dissipates just like a storm, just goes straight over. It's gone. Okay, that's uh, something you... How did you come across this Native American saying? 
Well, I mean, one of the things that I've really immersed in since moving to the United States is um, exploring those cultures. You know, I have a friend who uh, he sun dances with the Lakota every year and he actually uh, made a flute that uh, he made a flute for me, like a native style flute that uh, I play. And, you know, one of the things that I am really passionate about is understanding all, all these different cultures. And so I've just immersed into so many of them along my journeys. And, and this is just, this is part of the culture of where I'm currently at. Yeah. So uh, two questions to go, which one should I take? Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's go to the native or how you call it indigenous folks, because you're, you're Australian. Mm-hmm. Then we have the Aborigines. You've been traveling the world, Fuji, Thailand. They're also indigenous people and the Native Americans are others. How is it that when you've been learning, did you always go to this kind of cultures to learn from the old wisdom or do you, or do you did you feel especially attracted by certain cultures? Yes and no. So I've done a lot of reading, a lot of searching and, you know, immersed into a lot of different cultures and I have learned a lot from that path. But I think more predominantly, the greatest face of my learning has come from what is referred to as the anima mundi itself, which is the soul of the world. The anima mundi literally means soul of the world. And what it refers to is like anima philosophy is that the world itself and everything in it has a soul and that soul is intelligent and that you can, if you sit and listen, you can hear the wisdom of that soul. And if you think about it, the earth is an energy being. It's kind of like us, but just a bigger version. Like the earth is alive and it's been sitting here for something like 4.3 billion years in physical manifestation. Like the earth has physically existed for 4.3 billion years the entire collective human race isn't even a drop in the bucket of that. Like we are the smallest drop. So all collective human wisdom right back to the dawn of humanity is only a couple of hundred thousand years old. Whereas the wisdom held within the earth itself is billions of years old. So yes, we have some wisdom that we can learn from humanity from, from looking at old cultures and traditions and, you know, the, the, the way that certain traditions have interacted with the world, we, we can gain all of that. But this wisdom of the earth, this anima mundi wisdom, this is available to all of us as a part of the beings of this earth. And one of the things that we have forgotten is how to access that. And that's what I'm super passionate about. I'll go and sit and I'll listen And what will I listen to? I'll listen to the wind. I'll listen to the plants. I'll listen to the things that are growing around me. I'll I'll just observe. And as long as you can do that and leave your mind out of the equation and just show up from a place of heart, you start to learn things. You learn things that potentially no other human has gained. And it's, you know, it's not about being in competition. It's just there's certain things that you can't learn from books because the wisdom isn't yet available to the human race. That wisdom is locked within the earth, but we have the keys. We just have to show up and use them. Do you think that was what ancient cultures did, trying to unlock these different keys? 100%. Yeah, I believe that 
that's where herbal medicine comes from. You know, one of my things is I have a degree in Western herbal medicine, and I believe that the knowledge that has gone into creating things like that, you mentioned Ayurveda before, the knowledge that has gone into Ayurveda, the knowledge that has gone into traditional Chinese medicine, Chinese herbalism, the knowledge that has gone into herbal practices around the world, that we created the pharmaceutical industry from. You know, it, it's an evolution of what we were doing with plants. We just started creating chemicals to simulate what the, 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 the plant world does. You know, it all came from our interaction with the herbs. They didn't learn that from books because the books didn't exist. So how did the tribes know what to use? How did they know what would heal what? They did it because they learned how to heal. They learned how to hear what the world was saying. You know, everything is telling a story. And if you can access that story, then you know what it has to say. You know the wisdom. It's there. It's available to you. That's where this empirical knowledge came from when it came to working with plant medicines. So <laughs> that's, that's interesting um, what you're saying here with the trees and plants and the wind, the water. So I have been in the last six to eight months being talked to different people which say similar things. Mm. How, what is the prerequisite, do you think, for being able to do that? Well, where, where do you need to be as a being, as a human, mentally, energetically? I don't know. Yeah, look, I honestly believe that, like even science, you can read about this. Science has discovered that the heart is an oscillator. The heart <laughs> creates an energetic signature if you will it's an oscillation it's putting out an energy field now if you imagine that oscillation exists in everything in nature the earth itself has an oscillation it's known as the schumann frequency by science it's something like 7.63 hertz uh, i believe it's shifting so it might be different now but 7.83 hertz or something like that everything is in a state of oscillation creating frequency now if you go out there from a place of mind your mind is going to sabotage you. You're going to hear your own thoughts. You're going to hear your own chattering mind. You're going to hear the monkey just sitting there chattering away. But if you go out there and you silence your own mind and you just show up from a place of heart, your heart is an oscillator. It opens, the frequency opens, and then all of a sudden you get this key opening a lock. It's like your your heart is the key. It's Its oscillation is the key. Nature's oscillation is the lock. When the two come together, it opens and something magical is behind that door. And that's why it's so important for us to return to nature and to the natural world if we want to keep progressing forward as a human race. Because right now, as one of the first things I mentioned, in stepping into comfort, we have cost ourselves connection. And connection is where all the magic happens. It's where the healing happens. It's where the vitality comes from. It's where the wellness comes from. Wow, I'm taking a lot of notes in my little little yeah. <laughs> Hello Kitty <laughs> notebook. <laughs> it's too it's too small. Uh, that is such a great message, also for me, because I've been also told from my Ayurveda trainer: go walking in the forest every day. Don't take your dog because the dog will dictate the speed. Uh, for uh, don't do sitting meditation that's not you <laughs> that's other people right that's also why i ask about what are your elements 
Um, don't don't take your shoes either. Like take your shoes off and go barefoot because you you will have an exchange with the earth. Yeah, like right. <laughs> you'll have an exchange with the earth that is far more powerful that will become blocked by the thick rubber soles. You know, rubber is an insulator, and so take your shoes off if you're gonna wear shoes. Wear moccasins. Wear something that has a thin leather sole because that thin leather sole will enable your feet, one, to feel the earth and the contours of the earth, but the current will carry as well and you will allow that grounding to take place. I guess that's that's my next update is moccasins. I, yeah. um, I wear five fingers, which still have a rubber, which is thin though, mostly. Sure. Most of them, but you also have three movements of the toes, uh, yeah. which I really like because my toes are really disformed with all these stupid shoe brands making millions <laughs> yeah 100 percent. and that's don't even get me started on that you know like i've i've been running barefoot for years you know i i was a sponsored ultra marathon runner for about four years and i've always run barefoot and if i have to wear something on my feet like at the moment i'm running in uh, earth runner sandals and they're, they're like a really really thin sole sandal the feet splay naturally and they've got this awesome little copper plug in the toe piece that runs all the way down to the ground so that the copper is touching the ground which is a fantastic conductor okay i haven't heard of of those so is it sandals to run in or is it just yeah yeah they're called earth runner sandals <laughs> okay i have to check that out i'll definitely put a link to it um yeah, because I'm really looking for things to connect myself. Um, I'm going as much bare feet as I can. My wife has even uh, rubber shoes in the house and we have floor heating. Sure. And um, I've been luckily strong enough with my kids to allow them to go out bare feet or in underpants in the winter because my wife doesn't like that. But um, my daughter is really strong in, mm. in that perspective. I tried to do the Wim Hof um ice bathing in the fjord last year but my old ten fingers got what happens my sh <laughs> my door was just slamming i i i got all my 10 fingers they got white yellow and i lost okay. all my feelings um that was the first time so since then i can see that when i get stressed so probably there's something going on there's some tension emotions energies yeah. which are not flowing the right way but my sure. daughter came with me and she was super hot and she's she was eight and a half so now mm -hmm. she's nine and a half and uh, she definitely is good. And I love to be barefoot and climb stuff. Um, you mentioned now something else, ultramarathon. So, mm -hmm. and you also said you were in the military. So have you always been a very sporty person, active? Yeah, so one of the things that happened, uh, I, I believe, you know, as I started progressing along that path with overcoming the panic and the anxiety, reading was something that took the like it took a back seat as I started to get older I, I, I didn't read as much I realized I was still in my head I still had a lot of questions that I didn't have answers to there was still a pervasive not quite right feeling with me all the time it never resulted anymore in panic but I still didn't feel like I belonged I still didn't feel like I fit in so I started pursuing a lot of like uh, endurance based sports, you know, when I would go out and I would run, I was at peace. And so I would run longer and further all the time. You know, every afternoon, I'd come home from school, and I'd be running, I'd, I'd run, you know, 10, 20, 30 kilometers. And it just eventually started 
becoming a thing where I started competing trails and, you know, running marathons uh, on trails. And then um, that wasn't far enough. So I went into ultra marathon running and started running out to like a hundred mile races and was doing it all barefoot. Okay. So there's a lot of questions we could go there, but let's try to keep it a bit shorter. Trail means that's um, tracks like earth tracks and sand and stuff or? Yeah. So basically off-road, anything through the wilderness, in the forests, that sort of thing. Wow. Okay. I, I, was, I wasn't aware that there's marathon and ultra marathons like that, mm. but then I'm not a long distance runner. I'm more in the heavy weightlifting. That's when my mind quietens. <laughs> sure. And I mean, I, I'm sure there's, there's something for everyone. You know, everyone has that thing that will help quieten them. Yeah, I mean, I, I love playing soccer, football, um, basketball and stuff like that. Um, but running for me, I'm getting bored. But probably that's that's what I have to learn, right? Go long distance and get really, really bored in my mind and get over that barrier. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's never been something that I've, I've, I've come up against. I mean, generally speaking in life, I've never experienced boredom. There's just way too much to do. I don't know how you could ever get bored. There's too much. I don't know every language. I can't speak every language. I can't <laughs> play every musical instrument. I, I, don't, I don't know everything. So there's no room or space to get bored. But when I'm running particularly, like that's the place where this super chatty mind, traditionally, it's not so much now, but back then, super busy mind, that's where it slows down. And to me, that was bliss. There was no boredom in that space because it's kind of like, you know, when you first start falling asleep before you start dreaming, but you're no longer fully conscious, you're kind of in that transition where it's just, there's nothing. It's just perfect bliss because nothing exists. It's just that blackness that they're kind of void between consciousness and dreaming. And that's what running presented for me in my mind. So it didn't matter how long it went because I, I, I was in that space. Wow. Oh, and then also the bodily pains from running were not felt so much or? Well, I mean, if I was hitting a distance that I hadn't done before, sure. I mean, it would, it would always hurt, but you just, <laughs> it, 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 it's a part of it. You know, pain is a part of life. And I kind of figured that I was exchanging one pain for another that was on my terms. So the pains that I was experiencing in my mind mentally or I was experiencing emotionally, they were outside of my control. But the physical pain from running, that was something that was in my control. I could put myself into that and I could control that. Yeah. Yeah. You just opened the door through, you know, facing like trying to bring forth the panic attack, exchanging one pain with another one. It, it, it shows a little bit that you, you taught yourself exchanges, mm -hmm. you know, for things you don't want, you take something else on your terms. Do I see sure. that right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Beautiful. Very interesting. Now, another, the last question on the running, bare feet running such long distances. You cannot just start like that. No, you can't, especially if you're used to wearing shoes. You, you would have to build up to it. And, you know, I would suggest if somebody's wearing shoes in the house to stop wearing shoes in the house. And then when you're going outside, maybe just in the yard, if it's comfortable, if it's grass, start wearing no shoes 
on the grass and get used to the feeling of your feet. I mean, because it's not even about the sharp things. It's not even about the skin on the rocks. The skin adapts really fast. You get a thick layer of skin really quickly. Your feet will callus very fast. It's more about developing the muscle structure, the tiny little muscles. You know, you've got these um, tarsals and metatarsals and phalanges in your feet. They're all joined by a whole bunch of connective tissue, muscles and tendons and ligaments and you want to grow the strength in that. Otherwise, you're going to end up in a lot of pain very quickly. Oh, yeah, I can see that. I remember with the five fingers, they had some issues because people thought they buy five fingers and they go walking like they normally walk. And then they had all kind of problems. Yeah, it'll protect the skin from, you know, the sharp rocks and glass and things like that. But it doesn't help the muscle structure in the feet, which needs to develop. It's like anything. Yeah, uh, they actually had to put a disclaimer wear it for five ten minutes here and there and then build slowly up for me not an issue because i was i mean why wearing shoes at home uh, <laughs> <laughs> i i'm not the one going bare feet in the city because of glasses and whatever sure. so yeah what, what else do i have there's so many things um yes let's go a little bit back to your touring one and a half years through the u.s Mm -hmm. How did that come? I mean, did you move to the US and said, oh, I don't want to settle. I want to find out first where in the US is the right place or? Yeah. So my wife and I, uh, we've always lived in smaller spaces. You know, um, like I said, we met on Facebook and she was in America. I was in Australia and I had just bought a 34 foot masthead sloop. You know, the ocean has always been fascinating to me. I, I love diving, free diving. I love sailing and windsurfing and so i bought this uh, 34 foot masthead sloop and i was outfitting it to sail from where i lived in australia around the, the southern tip of australia across the bottom and then over through the indian ocean all the way up to um, south africa and it was the week that i had bought that boat i i met my wife Lindsay. we started talking i was running a, a page on facebook and she commented on something and we started talking and we got on like a house on fire. Within three months, she was out living on my boat with me. She came out to Australia and she spent the summer in Australia with me, just living in this boat. And we, uh, you know, we did some sailing around the South Pacific and that was just fascinating. It was amazing. It was such an, a, a beautiful, it was such a beautiful time. And when her, her time in Australia was up, her visa ran out, she had to return to the United States and I wasn't able to return with her straight away. So we were in a position where we didn't really know what was going to happen to us. And I put my boat on the market. I was, I sold it within, you know, two weeks of her leaving Australia, my boat sold and I took the money and I went to America and we basically decided that, uh, I mean, we were living in Los Angeles. Um, we, we got married and I applied for a spouse visa, change of status, and they approved that temporarily and went through the whole process. So I got a job with her in LA and we were living in LA in, in this little apartment in Long Beach. And we wanted to start our own coaching business, but you can't start a business successfully in LA unless you've got a lot of finances behind you because the cost of living in LA is quite high. So we decided to leave our jobs, 
leave our apartment, which we were renting, and we bought this old RV and we hit the road. And so we built the coaching business from the road, you know, and we were touring around America. We basically went all the way around the country, just checking out all the national parks and just taking our time. You know, if we had uh, calls with clients for, for our coaching business, we would post up somewhere in an RV park and we'd work for the week. And then on the weekend, we'd move on and we'd go somewhere else. And that's what it was like for us. Her family um, mostly have all moved to Florida. So we kind of came down around the coast. We came down to Florida. We found a home. We bought it, um, put the RV into storage, and then eventually sold the RV. And now here we are. Okay. So do you have any <clears throat> specific memory from, from that round trip coaching, business building that, that sticks uh, I mean, there's so much of it that sticks. It was just an amazing time. America is one of the most beautiful countries uh, I've ever experienced, you know, and I've done a lot of traveling. You know, I'm not talking in terms of the cities, like, yeah, New York, Square, Times Square, and <laughs> LA, that's all kind of cool stuff. But what I'm talking about is, you know, like Glacier National Park in Montana, you know, it's a national park that's carved by glacial movements. Um, Yosemite National Park in California, Mammoth Lakes and the, the hot springs just outside of the ski mountain and, you know, um, Zion National Park, you know, just these amazing spots, you know, the Mojave Desert, uh, Joshua Tree, um, just absolutely pristine places, you know, even like Blue Ridge in Georgia, so much beautiful wilderness and it's just untouched untapped waiting for people to go and engage with it wow um <clears throat> the one word comes up while you were talking is energy places mm. energy <laughs> fields in the u.s any any place that you felt really connected and if you had an experience for yourself yeah so um a couple of places where that kind of thing happened. You know, I, I was impacted really deeply by a place called Crater Lake, which is in Oregon. And it's actually a, a volcanic crater that has flooded and the, the lake is inside the volcanic crater. They don't know how deep it goes. It's phenomenally deep. And you can walk down the caldera into like the bottom and then you can swim in the water. And it's just the, the most cobalt blue water. It just drops down. The shelf just drops down and just disappears. You, you, don't, you, you can't see anywhere near towards the bottom. But uh, when we first got to Crater Lake, we drove up, we parked the RV and we walked over towards the edge at the top and we were looking into the crater. I just got mesmerized. You know, I was just sitting there and for like half an hour, I just sat there staring at the lake. And Lindsay, my wife, she said, are you ready? And I'm like, no, I, I just, I, I don't want to move. Like, I just want to stay here and be in this place right now. And she's like, okay, cool. So we just sat there and we didn't talk. We just sat there staring at the lake. So that was one of them. Um, another one, we went to Yosemite. Uh, no, sorry, it wasn't Yosemite. It was Yellowstone where all the seismic activity happens, you know, all the thermals and they have the geysers and stuff. And we camped in, Yellowstone for the night and early early morning we we got up and walked down along this uh, boardwalk through all of this uh, steaming you know just the ground was just all seismic and they built this boardwalk through it and 
we had our coffees and we were, you know, it was like five or six o'clock in the morning. The sun was just starting to show its light for the day and there was no one else there and there was all this steam coming out of the earth. And that was another one. It was just absolutely amazing. So you were brought, you were just mesmerized or did you also feel something shifting in your energy being? Yeah, definitely felt the shift. You know, I don't think you could, um, I don't think you could be connected and be in places like that and not feel the shift. <laughs> Super. Yeah, that, that, that's beautiful. I, I have been in the US, but just for work in a short period, <laughs> Rhode Island. <laughs> okay. And yeah, I mean, Rhode Island's beautiful as well. Like all the way up that East Coast, you know, you head up in through Connecticut and up to Maine and there's some beautiful spots up through there too. Yeah, I didn't get to Maine. I know I have visited Maine many times in stories from a certain Stephen King. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, I just remember it's always in Maine. I've been in uh, Yukon and um, mm -hmm. Calgary, Vancouver. I, I really felt really connected there as well. Um, I'm not cool. feeling so. I'm not feeling so connected to Denmark. Um, yeah, but that, that's probably because I don't know the us canada it's probably older somehow it feels older mm. it's all sand so you know it's it's not like this structures i was another thing came to my mind during our discussion is when you talked about native americans and you know <clears throat> the bison uh it's it's also the feeling because you also said uh, running and the panic attacks, you were too much in your head. Mm -hmm. I know from another discussion I have, uh, I've been talking to two people which have um, grandparents or grand-grand-grandparents, which are Native Americans. And and they say to travel from the head to the heart or from mm -hmm. to the body is the, is the hardest to take and the longest. What is your experience with that? Yeah, 100%. I think it took me probably like 35 years to make the journey from the head to the heart. <laughs> Um, and how would you describe the journey? I mean, you already discussed a little bit, but how would you describe it? Well, I, I guess just everything. I mean, the external is literally just a reflection of the internal. So the entire story of my life is the journey from my head to my heart. You know, it was this whole process of discovering myself, you know, coming back to those three words that I chose, you know, seeker, mystic, adventurer, it's, it's just finding my way through the world and finding my place in the world because we're all beings of this rock. We're all born <laughs> of the earth, which is why I've created my brand as earthborn. We are all born of earth. We're all beings here. We just need to find our place in it. You know, it's kind of like if you're born into a large family and everybody has their place in the family and you are coming of age in the family and you don't really know your place. You have to take your place. You know, and I know you're talking about like native cultures, a lot of traditional cultures have this coming of age ceremony where those members of the tribe coming of age would have to go on some kind of a quest to take their place in the tribe. And in, in some cases, they wouldn't survive the quest, in which case they never got to take their place because they would perish on the quest. But for those that did survive the quest, they got to take their rightful place as a member of the tribe. Well, I think our life is the tribe. You know, who we are is in humanity is the tribe, and we're just not taking that journey. We're carving comfort for ourselves, and we're sitting in this bubble of comfort, 
and it's keeping us disconnected and separated, not just from the world and from nature, but from ourselves and from one another. And so the story of my life was a story about tearing down the comfort. It was about tearing down the status quo. It was about accepting that what they told me about life didn't make sense to me and that was okay. I didn't have to live the way they told me I needed to live. I didn't have to be successful the way they defined success for me. Who was they? My parents, my bosses, my teachers, all these well-meaning people that wanted to see me thrive in life, but they wanted to see me thrive in a system that didn't make sense to me. And this is my journey. So I tore that down and I found a way through that journey of dropping from my head, which didn't make sense when I saw the world into my heart, which did make sense. And now operating from that oscillation of my heart, it's very nature focused. It's who I am. Wow, beautiful. That's what I was looking for, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> um, probably that's my path at the moment. Uh, have you always felt connected with the earth and felt like disconnected with, with the culture scape? What is success? What is not success? Yeah, from the time I was very young, you know, I grew up very close to a place called Lamington National Park in, in Queensland, uh, Australia, which beautiful, pristine rainforest. And, you know, I always thought if the jungles from that movie Avatar were real, this is where they would be. You know, if the jungle ever started glowing overnight, this would be the place that it would happen. It was one of my favorite places in the whole world. And from the time I was very young, When my life wasn't going the way I wanted it to, which was often, I would pack up and I would head down to Lamington National Park. I would park my vehicle and I would walk off into the woods. I'd walk off trail, I'd disappear into the jungle, and then I'd spend, you know, the next week trying to find my car. <laughs> okay, yeah, so you have a lot of survival skills mm -hmm. from nature, yeah. or you had a big backpack. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I learned a lot of skills to keep myself alive in nature. And I mean, the military helped with that. I did a lot of survival training through them as well, which was one of the, the things I took that I really do still maintain and embrace. But they take it from a different perspective. What I gained in those early years was an appreciation of the flow of nature and how nature works with itself. Even when it takes an aspect of itself, it's doing it working within itself rather than exerting dominance or influence over nature, you work with the flow of nature and it will give you every single thing that you need to thrive. I totally agree. <laughs> wow, I'm, I'm a bit lost of words. I had so much more, but let's, <laughs> let's take the intro questions, which I never got to take. And mm -hmm. let's see where we go because you're so interesting and so, so much a reflection of myself. In, in many ways, I have the feeling. Besides the marathon, you will never <laughs> get to see me running 100 miles. At least I don't think so. Um, I asked uh, my guests a color. You know, you have a color box. You will be the new color adding to the box. It can be very creative out of, out of whatever, or it can be just a normal color. So what color would you be and why would you be that color? I don't have a name for it, but it would be a super vibrant emerald green, like a, a glowing emerald green. And why? Because to me, that represents my nature. It's just, it's a color that feels like I'm at peace when I'm, I'm around that color. I, I firmly believe, you know, 
that the color of the heart chakra, according to, um, you know, the yogis is green. And I, I believe that nature is green and our heart is green because we are that we are one with nature. So green is my true nature. It's who I found myself to be. Yeah. And it's glowing, very vibrant. Like your dream. It is. It is now. <laughs> <laughs> like, like your dreams, right? Yeah. And uh, let's see if, if you're up to it. Fun fact or a secret not many people know besides perhaps your family or your, your wife. You're up to share. Do you have any? I was born without tonsils. Without tonsils? Without. Uh, do they grow? No. Well, no. So um, tonsils, uh, when I was a kid, I used to get a lot of throat infections constantly. And one day my mum took me to the doctor and uh, the doctor was examining my mouth, like my throat. And he, he said to my mother, when did Chris have his tonsils out? And she said, he, he didn't. He's never had surgery for his tonsils. And he said, well, he hasn't got any. And he said, that explains why his throat's always sick because there's nothing in there to fight the infection. And so my body had to adapt and I had to find ways of overcoming infection without having the, the, the tonsils doing that. Yeah, um, yeah, I thought it was those ones. And I was just like, okay, is, is that something that happens or, I mean, I've never heard uh, of them. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's rare or common for people to not have them, but uh, yeah, I was born without any, so. But, but you're, you don't have problems now because of that? No, no, I don't get sick at all anymore. Okay. Very strange and interesting. Yeah, then um, let's, let's uh, slowly go down so for the people it's not going too long because I could ask and ask and ask. <laughs> um, there's so many things. Are you visualizing your path, your next step, your future? Or constantly. How do you do that? Do you have an, a, a practice to do that? Are you meditating? Are you making a vision board, journaling? Yeah, there's a couple of ways that I do it. So I, I have a big blank artist's notebook and I, I use that to create myself a storybook. And so I'll, I'll draw a super vibrant image on one page and then I'll tell the story on the next page. And I might even put photos on the one page and then draw landscape around the photo. And so I'm putting input into that and then I'll, I'll write the story out. So it's like a vision board, but it's a book that I can carry around with me. And it's like a children's storybook. And I just tell the story that I want to experience and I focus on that and that becomes my reality. I can really resonate with that because I've heard so many things I've visualized and I realized for me, I visualize so much loss and loneliness. It's crazy. I'm like, Jesus, stop with that. <laughs> but I haven't really figured out how to do it. And I've talked to friends which had a vision board and they forgot about it. And suddenly they found it again. And like, wow, 70, 80% of what they stuck or wrote or drew on it came to be. Yeah. And they forgot everything about the storyboard until they had to clean up the basement. And whoa. So I'm actually working on that or I'm resisting doing it. So there's some resistance in me which doesn't want to do it for whatever reason. The time will show. Um, but let's look at your brand. Mm -hmm. um, you were talking about coaching on the road. So is that 
the business you have? Well, not not for myself. So I, I got burned out on coaching, and it's not okay. something that I really do a whole lot of anymore. You know, I've, I've my wife and I ran our own coaching business. She she's branched off and created a really successful coaching business out of her own thing now, and that's what she does full time. Um, it's not something you know. I, I tried to go back to it a couple of times, and I never it never really landed for me. Uh, I worked as a coach for a, a separate company. Um, I was offered a position with Tony Robbins in Robbins Research as a coach with him, um, you know, because I, I have a very powerful skill set when it comes to coaching. And I just, I couldn't get it off the ground because I didn't have the desire in myself to coach anymore. So I put my focus into Earthborn Design, which is essentially, I would call it a brand or an influence, all about bringing people back into alignment with nature, you know, just because of everything that I've been talking about. So what role do I play in that? Well, at this stage, I don't really know where that's going to go. Like some of the things that I like doing at the moment is I like making things by hand out of, you know, natural materials. I, I make a really cool native inspired drum out of um, raw branch wood. And, you know, I can share photos of that with you of some of the drums that I've made. They, they sell really quickly and really successfully and and that's that's phenomenal I, you know i make pipes for people um and you know again i make those from raw wood and keep them as close to their natural state as possible um spoons cups cooks things like that um you know so I, I make all of that kind of thing and i sell that through my store earthborn design but more to the point, I feel like my journey from here is literally more of an influencer type role than it is, you know, coaching or selling a product. You know, there will definitely be a product associated with Earthborn. But more to the point, I just want to share the message from an influencer point of view of how important and vital it is for us to return to the natural world and to take our place as a part of that. Now, that doesn't mean we have to go and live in caves or huts. We can still live in society, but there is a process of remembering that flow of nature that we're kind of not really landing on at the moment. You know, we, we abuse nature for profit and that doesn't need to happen. No, um, the, we have been, oh, yeah, must have been last year. Yes, it was lockdown. We went to a bison farm, or however you say it in English correctly, mm. <laughs> bison in German. Uh, here in Denmark uh, and he was very he looked very Americanized with his beard and <laughs> car and everything and he shared the story why the bison almost was extinct because mm. we Europeans found out that the Native Americans are living with and from the bison in harmony and if you remove them Indians have nothing to live mm -hmm. um, and that the Native Americans, in that story, also shared that the Native Americans never took more than they needed and always mm. gave back. Right. And we as Europeans came to the US and also know from the South American, you know, the Incas or whatever it was, which just looked at the Europeans and saying they're all sick in their head. Their head yeah. is disconnected with their body. And, and, and it will come, you know, when the condor flies with the eagle or something like that, they talk about, yeah, uh, we are reconnecting and there's more and more people. I don't know if it's just me, which I'm opening up to all these people, <laughs> or if there are just more and more people which are more connected with the planet. 
I think that it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, the more you immerse into that, the more it's going to make itself known to you. But there's definitely more people awakening to that, which is a beautiful thing. You know, I, I envision kind of like a fusion between the, our greatest technologies and the natural world. I don't see us re retreating. I don't see us returning to being like Stone Age. I see us building cities that have vertical rainforests of food growing in the cities, you know, and we're not using farming practices where we're, we're raping the soil and, and depleting ourselves of minerals. I see us creating a real symbiosis with nature and bringing nature into our cities and the cities will be the best, most advanced comforts in association with the most connection to nature. And, you know, it's it's kind of like, it's gonna be a permacultural way of living, you know, where when we have something, it supports the entire system. So the buildings might be made of solar collection panels rather than just glass. And that, that feeds the, the building energy, which then helps grow plants that grow out on the sunshine, the windowsills, and, you know, that then feeds the, the inhabitants of the buildings. and. That's what I see for us as a race in moving forward, you know, just these beautiful fusions of technology and nature working together. Me too. Actually, I'm, I've been saying lately, I do not remember if, it, if I've been in Denmark already <clears throat> or it was before, so 15 years ago or <laughs> a little bit less, that in Switzerland I saw this startup technology which used solar panels to actually blacken out the um, the windows you know, and they had mm -hmm. too much sun that automatically would darken so the room would not get too hot mm. but you also would generate mm. electricity <laughs> you have a little doggy there <laughs> yeah i've got a couple of them <laughs> okay you have a corky yeah <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, ours, yeah, our dog is upstairs. The cat was probably the one smashing into the door a few times. <laughs> the, the fish are not moving anywhere. They are still... Yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it's beautiful. I also see, like, I don't know. I, I'm wondering why it takes so long. For so many years, I, I think I remember Milano had this building where the trees were growing around the building. Mm -hmm. Um I haven't seen pictures of it anymore. You know, I'm wondering why is it not happening more faster that, that we do these kind of things? Because people do want to be in nature generally. Well, you know, I think that's a whole different discussion. You can go down that rabbit hole as deep as you want, but I think okay. it's because there's like generally speaking, I think there is a controlling interest at stake on the planet that wants to keep us burning things that they are in control of and wants to keep us eating things that they are in control of and, you know, it's all profit. It's all based on profit. Yeah. But uh, yeah, let's not go down that rabbit hole. Otherwise, we're going to go <laughs> on a complete different side. Um, any advice you want to share with um, the listeners? Yeah, take the journey that you're afraid to take. <laughs> because there is a there is a pot of gold at the end of that road. Not that there's an end, you know, don't think of it in terms of an end. But it's the journey that you're afraid to take that is the one that's going to give you the most. And if, if I've any, if I've done anything in my life to create an example to others, it's be uncompromising in stepping into the spaces that scare you. You know, you may not feel like you have what it takes 
to complete the journey. And that's perfect. That's the true nature of the hero's journey. You step onto the path knowing that you don't have what it takes to finish the quest. But you do that knowing that the quest is going to give you everything you need to complete it. Beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Nothing to add there. Lovely. But that's also kind of like a call to action, right? I mean, it's an advice and call to action in one. So Exactly. So we don't go further there. I tend to ask also about a book or two or other mm-hmm. resources you would recommend for, for the listeners. I mean, besides you're an author yourself, you say. So. Yeah, yeah. So I have a published book on Amazon called The Last Alchemist, published under C. John Sawyer. Um, definitely, if you can get your hands on a copy of that, go for it. It's, it's a really cool, fun read. Um, in terms of books that I would recommend, um, I, I would probably strongly recommend, it's one that I'm into at the moment, it's called uh, Evolutionary Herbalism. I can't quote who the author is off the top of my head, it's in the other room, but <laughs> the book is um, Evolutionary Herbalism and it, it's, it goes so much deeper than just pulling active chemical compounds out of plants and using them to heal head colds. You know, it's, it's about coming back into alignment with the anima mundi you know the soul of the world and learning how to listen to nature okay what sorry for that i cannot help it what what is the plant medicine um i'm not talking about ayahuasca or mushrooms <laughs> which is underestimated strongly according to the experience you have which people just push away but um you know, I, I don't think it's so much about a specific plant medicine as such. I think that the perfect answer to your question is the way that we prepare and work with the plants themselves. And that way it doesn't really matter which one you're working with. So what I, what I mean by that is science has this habit of saying there's an active chemical ingredient in the plant and it will isolate that chemical ingredient, condense it, put it into a capsule and say, okay, here is the plant. Like let's say it's uh Let's say it's um, echinacea. You've got a head cold. Take this echinacea for your head cold. They take the active ingredient from the echinacea plant, they put it into a capsule, condense it, and then you take it. What they don't understand is that the plant has hundreds and hundreds of different chemicals that are all working in synergy together. And if you pull one of them out, you might get 2% of the effectiveness that you could get if you worked with that whole plant. So the thing that's most underrated in working with herbal medicine or, you know, plant medicines is the way that we work with them. Now, having said that, I guess to more specifically answer your question, the one plant that I would say is probably the most powerful plant medicine there is in terms of what it does would be cannabis straight up. And, you know, like I said earlier in the chat, I've, I've studied, <laughs> I've studied, <laughs> um, I've studied uh, alchemy a lot of my life. And the, the early Renaissance alchemists used to, ref- they would refer to something called the Prema Ens Melissa, which was known as the Premier Herb, translates to the Premier Herb. Now, there is actually a plant that's um, 
its scientific name is Melissa officinalis. A lot of your listeners may know that as lemon balm. So the translation became lost to thinking that the alchemists were working with lemon balm. What they were actually working with, to my mind, was cannabis. And they were calling cannabis Melissa because it's the premier herb. They were saying that it's basically the king of all plants. Yeah, it's three, four years ago, I seen a documentary um, free online for a certain time, like 10 days. And it was um, the healing plant or the God plant or something like that. And it was in the end cannabis, how it's Mm. healing so many different things. Um, you can cho- you can choose the leaves uh, in your choosing, and it just gives you all these different minerals because there's 400 active compounds in it, and elements and minerals, and we only know a few, <laughs> or 400 yeah. we know of, 400 we know of, and there's much more, something like that. And you know, the interesting thing is, we were meant to work with that plant. We actually have these um, cannabidiol receptors in our brain. We have receptors to dock with this plant's intelligence. So yeah, and then we made it illegal, but that's again we go down the road of who wants to control what. <laughs> so we don't <laughs> not the conspiracy podcast. Um, super, but uh, let let's close it here for the for the listeners. Um, otherwise, they their head is blowing off with all the information. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people reach you if they want to? Yeah, so. Um... I'm on most social media outlets. I'm on Facebook. I'm on TikTok. I'm on uh, LinkedIn. I have a YouTube channel that I'm trying to grow at the moment. Um, <laughs> predominantly, you could reach me um, my website, which is uh, all one word, earthborndesign.com. And you know, if if you wanted to support the mission and what I'm here to uh, to do, then come to earthborndesign.com and grab yourself an Earthborn T-shirt. You know, it's uh, it's all about embracing your wild. Yeah, I can see that you wear one. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, but uh, yes, dear listeners, I you can see I could continue asking questions, and if you have any questions for me to ask. See John Sawyer about his adventures, his knowledge, or whatever. Please send me a message, and yeah, please continue liking this podcast, subscribing, and also reach out to see John Sawyer on you heard it Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn, and his webpage. With that, thank you very much, and here another time. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you today. Hello again, here at the end of the show. I hope you really enjoyed this interview I had today with my guest. And if you do so, please go, if you have not done that already, and subscribe to my podcast on whatever platform you are listening to. Put some star ratings or thumbs up or whatever you can, hearts I've seen somewhere, and leave a a review, a comment about the episode. And if you have some direct messages for me, you can also do that directly on anchor.fm slash shirach, S-C-H-I-R-A-C-H, as uh, in the form of a voice message. You can also send me an email on o uh, uh, shirach, like for Oliver Shirach, o shirach in one word, uh, at gmail.com, um, or reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, And I love to get some feedback. Tell me what you love about the show. Tell me 
what is not so good because we all want to improve and I want you to have the best experience. Perhaps you also want to be on the show or you know someone else that could be really fun to be interviewed by me. With that, thank you very much and have a great day. Oh, go sleeping now. It's time. Your eyes are heavy. See you then. Bye-bye.